good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And I know what you're thinking. What the hell are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be on vacation? Well, if you knew anything about me at all, you'd know that I always have to be doing something. And thanks to Rock and Max from Nightmares and Daydreams podcast, tonight's toil is a collection of terrifying tales from here in the desert southwest of the United States. Now that's Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, and parts of Mexico, for those unfamiliar. And we're doing all this, like I said, thanks to Nightmares and Daydreams, a Texas-based program that focuses on this notorious region of the country. But we'll touch more on all that here in a little bit. For now, find yourself some shade, pour yourself an ice-cold drink, Embrace yourself for this bonus episode of Monsters Among Us. Tales from the Southwest, brought to you by our friends at Nightmares and Daydreams Podcast. And it's actually in the land of enchantment that we find our first story of the evening. Jesse from New Mexico, what do you have for us? Hey Derek, this is Jesse from New Mexico. I just discovered your podcast about an hour or two ago, and I needed a call right away to share something that I haven't been able to share with anybody because I don't know what they're going to think of me or how they're going to react to the story. And this is something that happened to me last month in September. Recent. It was, it was very recent. If you recall, we had a September, Friday the 13th, with a full moon, and this is when my story took place. It was on a Friday, and for whatever reason that I do not recall, I got home early that day from work. So I usually get home around 5 o'clock, and it must have been 4 o'clock when I got home. My wife was in the kitchen baking, and my two boys were in their rooms playing. To At which point, I noticed my neighbor's dog started barking. And typically, since we live in the desert, in the desert landscape, in a deserted area, our backyard is nothing but just desert hills. That's all it is. So normally when he sees like a jackrabbit or people hiking or off road vehicle moving back, that's what he starts barking at. So I figured that this is what it was. So I go to the backyard just to make sure that everything's okay. And I notice that he's walking towards the front of the house. So at which point I started walking towards my front door and I opened up the wooden door, but left the spring door closed. I noticed that there was a gentleman kneeling in my driveway. So I thought this was strange at first since we live at the top of a cul-de-sac and it goes uphill, I thought maybe he was a jogger, just like in what I would describe as a person who's going to run track in a starting position. That's how he was. But then I noticed that for about a minute, he didn't do anything, and he was wearing sandals. So I was like, okay, if he's a jogger, he's not going to wear sandals. So I decided not to do anything and decided just to let it play out. So two minutes go by, and I notice him stand up and kind of scope out my house through the front yard. And he started walking towards the front door, he rang my doorbell, to which, at that point, my, my, I already was waiting there for him to see what he wanted. And he tells me, hey, good afternoon. I was just walking around the neighborhood, and I just saw your Halloween decorations. It is worth noting that me and my wife put up our Halloween decorations pretty early. And by early, I would mean September 1st. They are on. We're big into uh, Halloween. But it's nothing menacing. Innocent pumpkins. Uh, little skeletons, nothing, I would say, gross or, or vile or anything of that nature. So he tells me, he's like, well, I've noticed you have your Halloween decorations up. And then he proceeds to tell 
tell me it's kind of early, don't you think? So I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's one of these. So to which I respond, just okay. And he said, yeah, I noticed that they're kind of early, so I wanted to see if you had a couple of minutes to talk. And I said, no, I'm fine. Thank you, though. I appreciate it. You have a good afternoon. At which point he was about to say something else, but then he notices that my mood wasn't a, was a welcoming tone. The way I told it, because at this point, it is worth noting that I start just feeling weird, just like a weird vibe. Hard to describe, just uneasy, I guess that would be the word that I'm looking for. So he proceeds to say, okay, well then thank you, I appreciate it, and start walking. He starts, you know, walking away from my, my front door, at which point he goes back to my driveway and kneels down again. Now, at this point, I get agitated, and my wife is there with me, and she noticed that I had this interaction with the gentleman. To, so when I notice a meal again, I, I walk outside my house. My wife is behind me. And I tell him, excuse me, sir, you're on my property. If you need something, please let me know. If not, thank you. Have a good afternoon. And then he proceeds to get up, walk towards me, and then he tells me, oh, are you upset that a certain candidate lost the state uh, senate run for the particular state? And at which point I tell him, I'm not in the mood to talk politics. I appreciate it, though. You have a good afternoon. And then he proceeds to get a little closer to me. Now, at which point, this is where it gets a little a little strange. He started walking towards me, and at the same time, my neighbor gets there at, at this exact time. Now, my neighbor is kind of a menacing-looking person. Uh, I'm really good friends with him. He has a big beard. And he notices me having this interaction with this gentleman in my driveway, and my wife was there with me. He gets off of his car and he notices that I'm in an agitated state. So what he does is that he proceeds to walk in my yard. And he climbs, or he goes over his little rock barrier that separates our house. And he asks me, what's wrong? What's wrong? And at which point the gentleman is like, I just wanted to talk to you about it. And I cut him off again. I was like, listen, if you need something, let me know now or else please get off my property. He goes, oh, okay, well, in that case, can I have a glass of water? To which I respond, no, you may not. Please leave. This is the last time I'm going to tell you. At which point he goes, oh, okay, then God bless you. And he leaves. So I started telling my neighbor at this point, you know, what had happened, what happened prior to him getting there. And I thought throughout this interaction, okay, maybe this is just a, I don't know, person who was offended that I had my Halloween decorations up, did not support the candidate that I support. And he just wanted to make his opinion known. I thought it was one of those situations. But it, it, it didn't feel that way. It, it felt uneasy, like I was explaining earlier. It is worth noting that me and my wife walk through this neighborhood a lot. It's a small developmental area. New houses are being built. It's fairly new. So when we walk, we, we notice and we, we know our neighbors and we recognize everybody's face for the most part. This gentleman, I've never seen him before. He was in his mid-40s. He had sandals. He had a button-up shirt. He had these shorts. And I've never seen him before, never seen him since. So this is, again, right when the story takes a strange, unexplained turn, paranormal maybe, but I, I wasn't easy with this interaction. I didn't feel, I didn't feel right. I went back inside, my neighbor went back inside. So I had completely forgotten that I have one of those doorbells that record when somebody gets there or when there's emotion. And my doorbell has never failed, never. It doesn't record constantly, but it records only when it starts detecting motion or when somebody rings the doorbell. This gentleman rang my doorbell, and we had that first interaction at my door for a couple of minutes. But my device failed to record anything or pick up 
anything whatsoever. So that didn't sit right with me. So I called my neighbor because I know that he has one of those particular devices, but his sits on top of his garage, so it records all the cold attack. It gets the front of our house, our driveway, and most of the little cold attack. I texted him, I was like, hey, can you please just look at your video? I just, you know, I, I want to see if we have video of this person. Maybe I can just send it out to the neighborhood and say, okay, does anybody know this person? This is kind of strange, whatever the case may be. So at which point he takes about five minutes to text me back and said, can you please come over? I go over to his house and he proceeds to show me something that I still can't explain and I'm actually getting uh, goosebumps talking about it again. He shows an interaction where he got home. I'm out there with my wife. He proceeds to walk up to me, just like I explained earlier, but there's nobody else in this video. Nobody else. Now, I racked my brain about it. I was like, okay, maybe we just missed him. But no, during the time that this was recorded, he was there. I know he was there. And I know I'm not crazy. There was two other adults there, my wife and my neighbor. And we kind of haven't talked about it since, and I kind of don't bring it up. It freaked my wife out, you know, for a couple of weeks. And honestly, I still think about it. it. It was fairly recent. So that's my story. Thank you. Like I said, I just found it about the podcast. I just found it a couple of hours ago, and it's just great to have a platform to get this off my chest. All right. Thank you. God is in his holy tent. Earthly thought is silent now. Those that know, know. And those that know are probably still terrified by that little song. And that's certainly an eerie encounter, Jesse. Now, as I always say on this program, humans are by far the scariest monsters on this planet. Hands down. And in an odd way, this story reminded me of an odd occurrence that my grandmother experienced some 25 years ago. Now, I can still hear her voice tell the story. But for those of you that can't, I'll go ahead and summarize. Now, they lived in a house about a mile outside of our tiny village in Ohio. Maybe some 2,500 people. The road had a fair amount of car traffic, as there was an oddly placed apartment complex down the hill. But there was very little to no foot traffic. Well, one warm summer afternoon, she heard a knock at the door. She answered to find a skinny man in a loose-fitting suit standing in the doorway. Now, she claimed all he did was ask for ice water. So she closed the door. You see, country folks like my grandparents were anything but friendly in situations like these. In their defense, partly because of previous trespassers to the farm. So anyway, she shut the door and fetched the man a plastic cup of ice water and told him he could keep the cup. Then she closed the door. Well, a few moments later, my grandfather came up from downstairs to tell my grandmother that he saw a skinny man in a suit dumping water onto their lawn from a cup he recognized as theirs. Now, in all fairness, my grandparents' water tasted terrible, so perhaps he took one sip and decided that wasn't for him. But ever since she told me that story, I found it very odd and peculiar. But I doubt there was anything paranormal about this encounter. But it just goes to show how even the simple act of asking for a glass of water can somehow appear creepy. Now perhaps that's because it's not hard to imagine 
practically anyone doing something unsettling. It's almost as if it's part of our nature. But in reality, Jesse is kind of lucky here. He's lucky that the man wasn't able to gain entry into the house. A Fairview mother dealt with a serious scare inside her young daughter's bedroom last weekend. She says a stranger entered their home, sat on her six-year-old daughter's bed, and then refused to leave. Days after the in-home encounter, and still this family struggles to move on. You know, my girls, I'm getting up a lot at night, you know, and I'm looking at them, making sure they're right there, you know, and... I kind of prefer them in my room right now. Tanya Bennett says her six and 10 year old daughters have been too scared to sleep alone. When my six year old walked in here, she sat there and told me that he gave her this, she called it the creepy smile. And uh, she's waking up with nightmares about a creepy man with a smile now. Bennett says it was her youngest daughter who first found the man in her room. The girl, only six years old, screamed for her mother. My six-year-old comes screaming down the hallway, there's some man in my room, there's some man in my room. Police say this man, 49-year-old sat on her bed and refused to budge. He was sitting right there with his arms crossed. It was Bennett's brother-in-law who pushed the man outside, then took this video as he walked away from the house. It was then that Bennett's husband arrived home. The two men tackled Chisholm to the ground and waited for police. I still don't know how somebody could in you know, broad daylight and that fast. You just don't think something's going to happen that quick. I, I keep thinking what could have happened, you know. Now that clip courtesy of KPTV, Fox News 12 out of Oregon. And like I said... Humans are by far the biggest monsters out there. So thanks again, Jesse, for sharing the entry. Oh, and believe it or not, my grandparents also have a story that sort of ties into this sort of thing as well. Around the same time as the ice water incident, my grandmother awoke to find a burly man sleeping on their living room floor. By the time the fuzz arrived, my grandmother had already served him breakfast. It turns out that the man in his mid-twenties was drunk as a skunk the night before and mistakenly returned home to the wrong house. In his stupor, it didn't dawn on him that it was strange to have to remove a window air conditioning unit simply to gain entrance to his house. I really do have a story for everything. Well, now speaking of stories, this certainly wouldn't be a Southwest special without the mention of a Certain crying woman, La Llorona. So here to meet that quota, please welcome, I believe the name here is Chio. But either way, please welcome him all the way from the state of Arizona. Hey Derek, my name is Chino, and when I was younger I grew up on an Indian reservation in the Gila Bend, Arizona in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. Now, this reservation wasn't much bigger than a decent-sized suburb. It was surrounded by a thin metal fence and surrounded by endless, endless desert. There's lots of hometown legends that kind of float around there, the most prevalent being La Llorona. We are right next to what used to be the Gila River, and next to the Gila River is a very famous mountain we call the jump off, which is a very low graded, 
hill to a mountain that suddenly stops and drops into um, just rocks and death, essentially. And the story is, La Llorona had killed her kids there, drowned her kids in the river, and uh, went up to the mountain and jumped off herself. So there's tons of reports of people running into a crying woman. And that is sort of why I called. In about 2008-2009, New Year's Eve, I was celebrating with some family outside. We had done the countdown and uh, everybody one by one went inside to relax, go to sleep, and more or less just end the day. I was the only one left outside as I was texting a couple of friends about the new year and I could distinctly hear rustling along the fence outside of my house. And as I said, there's nothing for miles out there. So you can only assume it's another, some kind of wildlife. And uh, yeah, sure enough, about five yards away, I hear a very loud, very distinct coyote howl, very high pitched. And I sort of expected it to start yipping. And unfortunately at the height of its howl is where things start to get a little strange. This coyote hell turns into a woman screaming. It turns into sobbing, distinctly a woman crying. And it's so terrifying. Uh, it shoots spear right down my spine to my legs. I hop up and I run inside as quickly as possible. I'm too young, just not brave enough to deal with anything like that, especially on the reservation. Uh, <laughs> My heart's pumping just reliving that. The next day, I go out behind the fence in the desert, and I do notice the, the coyote paw prints where the, the bush was located, where I heard the howl. And hence, for the years after, I've been so confused as to what exactly happened, if that was La Llorona, because I've never heard a coyote howl in tandem with the La Llorona crying in the desert. And... I, I can't help but the question, was it La Llorona? Was it uh, something else? The, in the later, earlier episode, I had heard of somebody felt like they were getting targeted by a trickster. And then Native American lore, our trickster is Coyote. So there's that thought that wanders around in the back of my head. Did I run into Coyote? Did I get to experience something otherworldly other species like that and um why did the sobbing woman sound exactly like my mother i don't know if you've heard your mother cry but you don't forget that very distinct sound and um i think that's why it had affected me so much and ever since then you know it's just something i can't forget i thought it was really strange so love listening i've been listening since you had three episodes on and I uh, can't get enough. You're doing a wonderful job. Thank you. Now, if you think about it, our caller is kind of lucky. He's lucky that the creature wasn't able to gain entry into the house. It's almost too much to fathom. You're in a deep sleep when all of a sudden you are startled awake by a loud noise. It's around 4, I want to say 4, 4.15. All of a sudden we hear it sound like a cat fight, almost. At first, Bonnie Moriarty just thought it was her cat and dog getting into a scuffle. I woke up, and a cat and the coyote came running into my room. 
<laughs> it's still dark. Bonnie says she can hardly believe her eyes, so she grabbed a nearby golf club for protection. Well, my husband was out of town, and so my poor kids are upstairs, and I'm screaming. Bonnie thinks the coyote most likely came from this wooded area back here. Sorry. I was trying to find examples of coyotes sounding like crying women and stumbled upon this story. I simply had to share. Now it's courtesy of WNCN, CBS News 17 out of North Carolina. And I was a bit surprised that I was unable to lock down any audio clips that seemed to depict a coyote crying like a woman. There's plenty of screams out there, but there's an obvious distinct difference. But come to think of it, I've always been told that bobcats are the animal out there that replicate that eerie sound. Regardless, thank you, sir, for sharing your entry. And next time, do us all the favor and grab your phone and start recording. I'd love to get some ears on some of these sounds. Now, while you have that phone in your hand, if you have a story you would like to hear shared on the show, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Well, we've had a weird guy and a coyote in the bedroom. So why not round this thing out with an old-fashioned ghost? Please welcome Robin from Texas to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Robin calling in from San Antonio, Texas. And I'd just like to say, as of January the 15th, 2021, you have a new subscriber, my friend. I have enjoyed going back and listening to past shows. It's been awesome. So, new fan. Before I begin, I just want to say that the females in my family, I don't want to say we gravitate towards weird things. I think weird things gravitate towards us. And I've got many, many stories that I will be sharing here and there with you. I mean, I've even been told stories from when my mom was younger and all of the females in her family have experienced things. So it's like generational, I guess you could say. So let me begin by saying this happened back in 2001. This had to be late 2001, yes. Uh, I had to move in with my sister and my niece because I went into kidney failure due to diabetes. I was also losing my sight due to the same disease. So my sister's like, no, you're going to come live with me so I can help take care of you, so on. So we all moved into an apartment in this little town called Castroville, not too far out from San Antonio. And things were going well. My uh, domain was the living room. That's where I crashed and spent most of my time. My niece had her bedroom, my sister had the master bedroom, and things were going well. During the week, uh, when my sister would go to work about 6.30 in the morning, I would gather up my bedding, and I'd go take off into her room and, you know, grab some more Z's on her bed. Well, this was one of the mornings that, you know, just usual stuff. My niece would go to school, my sister would go to work. I grab my things and I go crash in her room. Well, this particular morning, it was a bit nippy, but it wasn't bad enough to turn on a heater. So that was off. The windows were closed. Ceiling fan was off. I'm laying down on my sister's bed trying to go to sleep. And the next thing I know, it's just like this magazine is being just casually thumbed through page by page by page. 
Now, I knew there were magazines on the floor because, you know, my sister just would toss them on the floor, you know, after she would look at them and whatever. And I'm like, okay, this, this is not right. So I go through the checklist. AC is off. Heater's not on. Windows are closed, locked up tight. So the last thing I do is look up towards the ceiling to see if the fan was on. And, of course, the fan was not on. But this magazine is being just casually flipped through. So I didn't want this thing to know I was freaking out on the inside. So I just slowly sat up. I grabbed my things, walked out the door. The door was open. I had left the bedroom door open. I just got up, walked out the door. I slowly grabbed the door and just shut it tight. Now, as I'm shutting the door, the magazine is still doing its little thing. It's still just flipping the pages, you know. Eh. Let's just say from that point on, I did not go into that bedroom by myself. If I was home alone, didn't go in there. <laughs> no. And I was even freaked out to go in there when there was people at home with me. Nothing ever happened to the rest of the apartment. It was just the master bedroom. And then a few years after we moved from there, my sister shared her experiences in that apartment, which was she had this thing, whatever it was, crawling into bed with her at night. She'd be dead asleep. Then she'd be awakened by the sensation someone was crawling into bed with her. Okay. So... That was the weird thing that happened to us back in 2001. I have more experiences for you, but I'll be calling in later on with those. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for your show. It's greatly appreciated. Keep up the good work. Take care, take it easy, and be safe. Thank you, Robin. The only thing I can think of here is that the air Robin displaced as she got into bed you know, walking past or adjusting the blankets, actually turned the first page. And perhaps once that one page was turned, the rocking of the magazine or the air displaced by each falling page somehow caused the next to turn, and so on and so on. Now outside of that strange, convoluted theory taking place, I'm out of ideas. But I do thank you, Robin, for sharing the tale with us this evening. Now, as I stated earlier, this special bonus episode is brought to you by Nightmares and Daydreams Podcast. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the show, you're in for a bit of a treat. Rock and Max love to shoot the breeze about monsters, myths, and much, much more. They're two best friends from Austin, Texas, who both grew up in homes with paranormal activity. They specifically love Texas, Mexican, desert, southwestern lore. Hence the reason for this Southwestern special. But they also delve into European folklore as well. Now, when they're not talking about paranormal legends, they're geeking out on D&D, vintage video games, and a lot more. But you know, that's enough for me. I'll let them tell you for themselves. They've actually whipped up a tantalizing tale to share just for you. Gentlemen, take it away. Three, as they say, is the magic number. 
The rule of three, for example, in some occult circles, states that whatever energy, be it positive or negative, that a person puts out into the world will be returned upon them threefold. From Aladdin's three wishes to three strikes you're out to the witching hour starting at 3 a.m., three is woven into the daily fabric of our lives. Three, according to the lore, is also the number of times La Lechusa will whistle at you before she attacks. What's that? There are still those of you out there who haven't heard of the legend of La Lechusa. Well, sit a spell and let us enlighten you on the infamous and deadly Mexican witch bird. Welcome Welcome to Nightmares and Daydreams. amazing monsters out there in the hinterlands. I'm Rock, along with my co-host Max, and just for a bit, we're going to be your guides as we introduce you to the legend of La Lechusa. Don't sleep on this legend, gang. Down here in Texas, there are literally hundreds of sightings of these mysterious creatures. No, I'm not sure I would call them creatures, Max. Well, what would you call them then? Hmm, monsters, maybe? Monsters works. Well, let's tell a quick story of a Lechusa encounter that happened in San Antonio pretty damn recently, and let's let the listeners decide for themselves. San Antonio. Not that far from us here in Austin, and they almost have better breakfast tacos than we do. (laughs) Listen, Max, it's been decided, okay? They have better Mexican food, and we in Austin have better barbecue. Now, let's get on to the story, shall we? Focus, my friend. Lead on, good sir. this happened to my cousin, and it involved my aunt. So the story was, for years, my cousin would wake up in the middle of the night and hear her mother speaking Spanish to someone in their kitchen. And this went down several times a week, like pretty frequently. My cousin said she'd ask her mom who she was talking to when she was younger. And uh, her mother told her she was dreaming. But as the years went on, the occasional late night conversations continued. And my cousin inquired again and again. And her mom told her it was none of her business and to stay in bed if she heard talking. It was adult business, she said. So years pass, and my cousin is in college by this time, and she's at home for the holidays. Now, this was right before the pandemic, so I'm thinking 2018 or 2019. Anyway, she just happens to hear her mom speaking Spanish in their kitchen around 3 a.m. again. And this time she decides to throw caution to the wind and find out what's going on. Well, she sneaks into the kitchen and sees her mom talking to this horrible half-owl, half-woman creature through the open kitchen window. She knew what this was immediately. Every Mexican kid in South Texas did. It was a lechusa, a witch, a bruja, and her mom was talking to it. Now, as soon as my cousin saw the lechusa, it saw her and let out this loud, horrible whistle before it flew away, the wings making loud flapping noises. She confronted her mom, who refused to speak of it, who told her she had imagined the whole thing. In fact, my aunt never said another word about it. Now, the funny thing is, this aunt, her mother, she was always whispered by the rest of the family to be a bruja herself. And the family stepped lightly around her, 
because it was said she would curse you, give you the ojo or the evil eye if you offended her. So the story in my mind confirmed that, yeah, I'm pretty sure my aunt was a witch. Creepy. And that is the link, folks. La Lechusa is a shapeshifter. And according to the lore, she's a bruja who sold her soul to the devil in exchange for dark powers. Pretty standard stuff. Well, as we explored in our Inferno Pax episode, selling your soul for cash, prizes, and power is, or was, pretty commonplace. It's the bruja's ability to shift into this apex predator of the night skies that kind of sets her apart. I don't know if I'd call La Lechusa an apex predator. Well, okay, so you're calling an upwards of five foot tall, this chimera of giant owl and woman, who, according to some tales, has the ability to carry off a grown-ass man in her massive talons of pushover? You saying you like to run into this thing in one of your nightly jogs here in Austin? Well, when you put it like that, (laughs) our listeners will know that I'm a keyboard warrior rock. That's why I run in the morning before work, by the way. All talk, baby, much like myself. So give the amongsters the stats on Lalechusa Max, like a laundry list of her reported powers and abilities. Let me open up the old Dungeons & Dragons monster manual real quick. Ain't no Lechuzas in D&D, Max. But there are harpies. Kind of the same thing. Mm, yeah, not so much. Listen, are you going to do this? Dang, I'll crack in the whip in front of MAU's awesome <laughs> listeners. Okay, gang. <laughs> Here are, according to the lore, some attributes of La Lechusa. Number one, she can summon storms. Which, you know, can be helpful, like if you're a farmer or something. <laughs> okay. Also, she can mimic a crying baby. Or, according to some, even the voice of a loved one. And you know, that's a pretty common power amongst creatures of darkness, kind of drawing you out of the light and safety of that and into the night where they can grab you. Well, we've already talked about this. If I'm out and about for a late night jog and I hear a baby crying. Yeah, if, well, listen, if you hear a baby crying up in a tree, run faster, Max. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Best case scenario, it's like one of those con babies like in Raya and the Last Dragon. Yep, yep. And we know babies don't go climbing no trees at such a tender age. That's a dead giveaway. All right, Max, what else? The hallmark of La Lechusa is her whistle, of course. Mm-hmm. That whistle, according to witnesses, once you hear it, you'll never forget it. You're correct, man. And like we've talked about this before, I've relatives down in South Texas that claim they've heard it. And yeah, they agree, man, that it's unlike anything they've ever heard, like super chilling, And once you hear it, you never forget it. So you said something about three whistles earlier. Si, senor. So according to the lore, and this is one I heard many times growing up, if you're out and about after dark and you hear a whistle, do not whistle back. And yeah, you'll hear two more whistles if a lechuza is around. And yeah, party people, don't whistle back on the second or third one either. Just don't do it. So if you don't whistle back, you're safe? Well, not necessarily, because in some stories she'll come after you regardless. Claw your eyes out, according to my abuela, my grandma. Any ways to protect ourselves in case of such unwanted encounters? You know, in case we don't have the plus five Holy Avenger or the (laughs) Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch on hand? Those are artifacts, man. But there are a myriad ways if the lore is to be believed. But gang, for much more on La Lechusa, hit up Max and myself at our own podcast, Nightmares and Daydreams. We formally invite... All of you amongsters to join us for all sorts of paranormal shenanigans. 
from pop culture to movie reviews that no one wants to hear. <laughs> and while we're nerding out here in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. and loving us some Texas and Mexican legends, we also do go across the pond and visit plenty of myth and folklore from the other side of the world. Banshees, Slavic lore, fairy abductions. Golems, Rakshasas, Kitsune. Black-eyed kids, skinwalkers, and La Llorona. Tricksters of all kinds, Jen. Just to name a few, y'all. You had to throw that y'all in there to let people know we're from Texas. <laughs> well, we also love barbecue. That's another cliche Texas thing. Hey, Max, at least I didn't say fixin'. Like I'm fixin' to head over to the bookstore and get me some more ghost books. Speaking of fixin', Rock and I are fixin' to get out of here and bury our noses in more myth and legend mm-hmm. in our attempts to keep our awesome listeners entertained during these trying times. Max speaks true, gang, for once. So come on over and join us for some nightmares and daydreams at whatever podcast you listen to all your finer podcasts on. Please do, folks. We'd love to have you. Well, amongsters, as we are wont to say, be good to each other and... Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. certainly was spooky and goes hand in hand with our La Llorona story. So thank you, Rock and Max from the Nightmare and Daydreams podcast for sharing that fun little legend and for sponsoring tonight's episode. For more information, subscribe to Nightmares and Daydreams podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And head over to their website, nightmarespodcast.net, for more information. So now let's get back to the action. And kicking off the back half is Hannah, also from the state of Texas. Hey, this is Hannah from Texas. Uh, I have a short story. It's maybe a UFO story, but probably nothing. I just wanted to call, see if anybody knows what's up with this. So the other night, my husband and I were driving in the country, and on the way back to the city, I was staring at what I thought was a planet. I figured it was a planet because it was a bright you know, light in the sky and didn't twinkle and it definitely wasn't a plane because I've been watching it for about 10 minutes and it hadn't moved a bit. Then it just snapped out of existence. I mean, I tried rationalizing this, like maybe a cloud passed over, but the only clouds in the sky were really small and the planet never reappeared. So um, we made the same drive the next night and it still wasn't there. So it's, you know, that's a little weird. But, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of UFO stories. Like, I believe there's life out there. But, you know, to be honest, I always kind of blank out during UFO stories. And I was hoping that if anything supernatural happened to me, it'd be a ghost or something. So, yeah, anyway, that's my story. Maybe somebody has a rational reason for this. That'd be great. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Anna. You know, it's funny. I think I saw this a few weeks ago while filming. Shadows in the Desert, out there in Borrego Springs. In fact, that was the second time I'd seen the exact same thing. The first time was last year, while I was sitting in the hot tub here at the house. Now, both times, I saw essentially what Hannah described. 
I was staring at a particular point in the sky when suddenly a orangish-colored light fades into existence. The light actually grows brighter and brighter and then suddenly begins to dim out. Now The lights I saw didn't suddenly go out, though. They faded as if they simply caught sunlight for a moment. Not unlike the way a fish will flash you when light hits the shiny scales. If that makes any sense at all. But you know what? While we're talking about fish, I want you guys to check out this odd encounter by an unknown caller from the state of Arizona. Hello, Mr. Hayes. Just wanted to call in. Um, I have a ghost report or apparition. I have no clue what it is. I'm, I'm in Tucson, Arizona here. I think I was around eight at the time. We had just come back from like something we did down the town. And I go upstairs and at the top of the landing, there's this like interesting area where there's two lights, but there's always this dark place. It's always giving me a sense of like unease. And I, I, I reach them like I'm like, I'm almost to the top step. And I just see this thing. It's really difficult to describe. They're just kind of floating there. It almost looked like a school of fish or the surface of a pond when it ripples. And it made the sound like if you were to take a piece of aluminum foil and just like gently shake it, it kind of made that kind of like crinkly sound. I screamed and ran downstairs. Don't remember very much what happened after that point, but uh, that's my story. I hope you can use this for the podcast. Thanks so much. No, thank you, caller. That's certainly a new one by me. Does anyone else out there ever hear of an apparition described this way? Well, if you have, you certainly know what to do. And thanks again to both Hannah and our mystery caller for sharing their entries. So being a special about the Southwest, you know we're going to feature more than a couple of UFO encounters. So here to share his experience is Austin from the state of Arizona. Hi, my name's Austin. Uh, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. And I got a story to tell. By the way, I love the podcast. I've been hooked on it since a couple days ago, but I've already listened to like 10. Anyways, I got a story about a UFO. This was in Phoenix, Arizona. I was probably around like 10 to 12 years old. I think it was around like 2009, 2010. But I was playing soccer one day and it was actually night. It was probably around like 7 or 8 p.m. And I was the goalie, and my team was just, we were dominating the other team. So I was just at the end of the field by myself, watching everybody on the other side of the field just score a goal over and over. They never really came to my side of the field because we were just destroying them. And I was just standing there. I was literally bored because it was like a 10 to 0 game. And the sky was dark, and it was a clear night. And I'm just like standing there looking around and all of a sudden I see this light. It was pretty bright too. Like I thought it was a star at first. And I saw this this light suddenly start moving. It was like zigzagging. And I was like, okay, what the hell is that? So I keep on looking at this light and it's doing the zigzag motions. And all of a sudden, it starts like moving very erratically, uh, like up and down, left and right. And I thought that was freaking weird. Anyways, I just looked at this light 
and all of a sudden after doing all these zigzag motions it just it just like zoomed off into outer space or at least really high upper atmosphere it would kind of took off like kind of like how in star wars or a spaceship kind of you know goes to light speed well it looked like that and i always tell people it looked like if you had a laser in your hand and you're shining it on the wall and you flicked your wrist as fast as you can and that laser that laser dot that's what that looked like the light in the sky like flicked itself super fast but it wasn't like the fast jittery movement of a laser but it just accelerated like it accelerated so fast and I honestly don't know what that was. And after I saw that and it took off, I was looking around to see if anybody saw that and nobody did. Everyone was watching the game and I it, it just blew my mind. After the game, I told my dad and just recently I asked him about that night and he's like, "Oh yeah, I do remember that. I do remember you telling me about that." And after those navy videos that came out recently, I suddenly remembered that UFO sighting that I had and I forgot all about it until a few months ago and it just blew my mind. I don't and this was 2009 so I don't know what the heck that was. I think it was probably like and it was it wasn't something from Earth. There's the only thing that I could think of that it might be would be a laser, but there was a clear night, so there really wouldn't be anything for the laser to reflect off in the sky. There was no clouds or anything. So that's the closest thing that I could tell what that might be, but I'm probably like 99% sure it wasn't a laser. I do live next to an Air Force base, next to Luke Air Force Base, and I'm in the military myself, so I don't know what that possibly could be to be honest. I don't think they have anything like that. Yeah, that's it. That's my story. Love the podcast. I'm hooked. Thank you, Austin. Now I swear I have a story for everything. And I believe I've shared this one once already before, but when I was in the seventh or eighth grade I was a bench warmer for our JV football squad. Instead of watching the game, I found myself staring at what appeared to be a pair of cars' headlights cutting through the cold night air. At an altitude I could only estimate to be two or three thousand feet. Now being a lot older now and a little bit wiser, I realize many small aircraft have lights on them that resemble car headlights. But let me tell you, at the time, my mind was blown. So I don't know, Austin... Maybe it was something explainable. Or maybe it was the same thing that Hannah and myself saw that flashed in the night sky. Either way, you're certainly in the right place for an encounter like this. And thank you for calling yours in. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. And this one takes place in Mexico, but comes to us from Maria in the state of California. Hi there, this is Maria calling in from Southern California in the Antelope Valley. I wanted to call in to share this story that my mother and my father actually experienced in Mexico. Um, My parents aren't together anymore, so this is my mom's point of view. So this story is set in Mexico. My father was a truck driver and a bus driver on and off. 
and my mom happened to be with him on this specific trip. And it's in Mexico, the 1990s, and it's 2 a.m. in the morning. It's completely dark. He has a bus full of people. They're driving somewhere, and my mom, this is my mom's point of view because my parents are no longer together, but they're driving late, no one's on the road, and this massive orb just shoots by the side of the bus. And according to her, the color was a dark blue with a red light that it left behind. And it was about the size of a car, if not a little bigger, she said. And she saw it, and my dad saw it, and she wasn't sure if anyone else saw it. And they were, you know, all right. No one was, like, delusional or falling asleep. And she knew that it was real because other people saw it when they came to their arrival. And they all were kind of speculating of what it was and what it could have been. But what was scary to them wasn't just that this big light just zoomed by. It was that it took off into the sky after it passed them a couple of feet. And from there, like, they just lost it, like, in sight. So I don't know if this is some sort of alien connection, some sort of ghost thing or some sort of aircraft being. But I found that really interesting and I really liked that. And it's really crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. That is pretty wild. Thanks, Maria, for relaying the story. Now, I won't go into my usual rant about ball lightning, other than to say it should be considered in this particular scenario. But outside of that, I'm fairly perplexed about what this bus passed that evening. Then I started thinking to myself, what if it was a plane that passed by the unidentified flying object? The speeds would be much greater, and I'm sure the fear factor would be as well. Well, then that's when I remembered that all of that already happened. An American Airlines pilot saw something mysterious recently during a flight from Cincinnati to Phoenix. This was just on Sunday. A scanner picked up the pilot's radio call. Listen. Have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us. That I hate to say this looked like a long cylindrical object. It almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast. It went right over the top of us. Now, American Airlines has confirmed that radio transmission. Uh, Pilots in this country are not known to see things. You know, they see pretty well. Uh, And this comes... Now, that was American Airlines Flight 2292, which was over northeast New Mexico at the time. And that clip comes courtesy of CBS this morning. So add this encounter onto an already heaping pile of southwestern UFO legendary occurrences. The Aurora UFO crash in Texas. The Roswell crash in New Mexico, Area 51 in Nevada, and the Phoenix Lights and the abduction of Travis Walton in Arizona, and of course the Battle of L.A., and the recent Navy videos released showing UFOs or UAPs off the coast of Southern California. So I suppose no new report from this area should shock anyone, but what if I told you that at least one of these has already happened before? Sightings was contacted by two air traffic controllers, each describing the same disturbing incident in the skies above New Mexico on the night of May 26, 1995. Here is part of one of the controllers' message, as recorded on the sightings hotline. Yeah, working with an air traffic controller and uh, pilot of America West Airlines had seen an object between three and 400 feet long. A sightings investigative team has obtained the actual radio transmission 
between a flight control center in Albuquerque and an America West Boeing 757. Based on these transmissions, we've been able to recreate a startling encounter between a commercial aircraft loaded with passengers and an unknown craft six miles above the Earth. This is the actual transmission recorded at the moment the UFO was sighted. Yeah, off to our um, 3 o'clock. Get some strokes out there. Can you tell us what it is? But air traffic control cannot tell America West Flight 564 what it is. The object is not on radar. The tone of the radio communication begins to change. There's nothing on the radar. Well, on that object, it's up in the air. It's up in the air? Hey, permanent. No, uh, no one knows anything about it. What's the altitude about? I don't know, probably right around 30,000 or so, and uh, the length is unbelievable. Albuquerque controllers contact the military for an earthbound explanation. Anna, go ahead. Hey, do you guys know if there was anything like a tethered balloon or anything released that should be above Taiban? Uh, no, we haven't heard nothing about it. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Got it 39,000, so you see something at 30,000 that the length is unbelievable and it has a strobe on it. Uh-huh. This is not good. <laughs> okay. uh, what, what does that mean? I don't know. It's a UFO or something. It's right, it's right in Taiwan. No, we haven't seen nothing like that. Okay, keep your eyes open. Fox Tarkino. Now, of course, that clip is courtesy of the 1990s television program, Sightings. Now, I was not able to confirm any radar hits in regards to the 2021 New Mexico near mess. But luckily for us, Sightings had better luck with their 1995 encounter. After the New Mexico controller's initial call to NORAD was laughed off, NORAD called back. We had someone call here earlier about a pilot uh, spotting an unidentified flying object. Yep, that's us. Okay, well, hey, we're tracking a, a search-only track kind of where that might have happened. It's tracking about 390 knots. Um, we've been tracking it for about three, four minutes now. I mean, to be going that fast, it's got to be up kind of high. And we got no code on it, huh? Nope, it's search-only. Now, what she's referring to at the end there, uh, to the best of my knowledge is that all aircraft must have a transponder that identifies itself to any nearby radar. And essentially what she was saying was that this mysterious craft did not have this legally required equipment. So there you have it, folks. Tales from the Southwest, brought to you by the amazing podcast Nightmares and Daydreams. Keep in mind, folks, Rock and Max are directly responsible for this bonus content. So repay the favor and give Nightmares and Daydreams a like, listen, and follow today. A link can be found in our social media accounts, in the show's description, or in the show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. All audio used in this production has done so under the protection of fair use. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. Keep the party rolling by following us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the terrifying music you hear in tonight's episode was provided by Co.ag Music and Carl Casey and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys for the beginning of Season 12 next Thursday. Until then, stay safe and have a great night. 
On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to Counterclock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.